Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, Archons. Welcome to Help From Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast by Keyforge Pals. My name is Scuzzy Groom, but you can call me Alex, and I am joined this week as I am every week by my Keyforge friends. We got the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, how we doing? And returning from his triumphant showing at the Vault Tour in Las Vegas, it's Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, guys. How's it going? Blake, did you have a good time at the Vegas Vault Tour? Oh, I had an outstanding time. It was so much fun. Yeah? What was the highlight for it for you? Making day two. That was definitely the highlight. Uh, aside from getting connect with people more, because I got to see a few faces when I was in the Grand Championships, uh, getting to see them again and establish that, those relationships a little bit more was cool. But it was honestly just putting in the work and then getting to day two was was definitely the highlight for me. It sounds like it was a really dope event. I understand that you, because you went with some friends of the podcast to the event, actually sat down and really broke down all the games, your preparation, and everything that you had going on going into the tournament and what happened at the tournament. We're going to get to hear some of that conversation later on in the show. Our friends uh, Dan from Sanctimonious and uh, Joe, who you may know online as X073D, um, they couldn't make it to the vault tour so they were vicariously living through me and helping me prep and train for this event which was a, a fantastic experience to have people in your corner putting in that time and effort so this it really does feel like coach was getting some coaching on this yeah one. yeah Definitely. it was there's no <laughs> doubt that's really really dope of course uh, the specter of cheating hangs over the results of the vegas vault tour um the fellow who ended up going on to win the event was later on outed on stream as having made either a mistake or having deliberately cheated um with uh regards to a play that he made wherein instead of picking up his discard shuffling it and drawing a new hand he basically fl had a look at his discard then flipped it over and dealt himself the hand knowing what would be in it there's been a lot of digital ink spilled on this topic already. A lot of people calling for blood, a lot of people who want to uh, socially pillory the guy, a lot of people who want to defend the guy for that matter. Um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about it here on the podcast. We like to keep things positive, but I did want to say that, first of all, um, my personal interest in this is not to see anybody be socially um, penalized or put in stocks and have like tomatoes thrown at them or be strung up over what happened. Um, I don't think that that's productive. Um, and I don't think that being vindictive actually helps anyone or anything. Um, I don't think it would discourage future instances of this sort of thing happening. Um, I just think it's a thing that people uh, will tend towards because it feels good to, uh, you know, uh, bay for blood, um, if you will. What I would ultimately like to put forward is that whether or not it was intentional and we have no access to this person's intentions it was a major instance of the rules not being followed and the penalty for that should be fairly serious especially given that this was a game which impacted whether or not this person could go on and win the tournament um i feel like restitution needs to be made and apparently the fellow has already said that he wants to give back the prizes and beyond that, it's up to FFG to figure out what the penalty is going to be for this. So, with that said, Blake, tell us a little bit about what the setup for the tournament was like, like in terms of actually being there. What was the room like? So it was, an, it was a really nice uh, room, actually. Uh, unfortunately, due to it being Vegas, it was heavy AC, which kind of, uh, I may sound a little bit more growly 
because uh, 12 hours in an AC room over two days kind of uh, does it to you. Mm-hmm. I probably would expect more than it that. does. Yeah, and then the dry desert as well doesn't help. And um, it was really, really well set up. There were just tables all lined up. There was like five big screens along the wall, which were at any given time, either showing streams or showing content or showing sporting events that were going on. So there was nonstop entertainment in the room. It was on the 12th floor and it had its own patio, which was really cool. So you could get some fresh air whenever you wanted or have a smoke break if uh, that was one of your vices. And uh, yeah, it was just very well set up. There was a huge prize wall. Uh, I noticed the prize wall is diminishing because the mat, certain mats and stuff are not there anymore because they are going to be cycling through some product. And if some people saw the Crucible cast, there's going to be some new items, I think, uh, popping up in the near future. So um, if you didn't get certain mats thus far this year, you probably will miss out if you don't see them there. So that's just the way it is, which is fine. Did you grab and yourself some uh, some prizes off the prize wall? I did. I I, uh, I spent all my Amber Shards and then loaded up again and didn't spend those as much. Um, mm-hmm. I got some for the event. But yeah, and I was uh, I went shopping for a bunch of people too. I had a shopping list from various <laughs> individuals in the community, which was uh, my pleasure to do since uh, they are really cool. Mainly those big metal keys is uh, was the most sought after item without a doubt. Was it really? Yeah, wow. that was the one thing that everyone asked for without a doubt. Uh, it was the the unanimous item that was requested. And then um, other things just varied between each person. Huh. Yeah, and then the tournament was very well set up. It was extremely organized, very efficient, and the rules were stated very clearly by Duncan, the head judge. Uh, Shout out to him. He does a fantastic job. Uh, He states at the beginning exactly what his expectations are, what the rules are before the event began, and the penalties for not following certain rules. And that's just how we decided to run the event and it was very clear and everything was very smooth for from like the whole day and we had a long day we started at like 10 a.m and we finished at 9 30 at night on day one with an i hour am lunch super break. curious because you also went to uh, an event in washington dc just a couple of weeks ago and you had said that there had been some bumps in the road but this is the first time that you've been to an event that yeti has been running how yeah. did you feel about that in terms of like the professionalism and caliber of the event in terms of how it was being run Oh, it was next level. Like it was just amazing. Like there was not even a hiccup. It was just, it just ran like super smooth. Uh, The only delay I think was, was when they were doing side events and that was because they wanted to maximize the amount of people that could participate. So it was just a delay to get one more team. And I think it was also like a numbers thing. So there weren't buys or anything like that. So it was really well thought out. And a shout out again to Duncan because he told me that he listens to the podcast. And that (laughs) that Nova episode we talked about when I mentioned there was no prize wall, he actually referenced to me that he thinks about that every time they're setting up the prize wall and make sure it looks full. So I thought that was pretty (laughs) funny. Man, that's super dope. I love to hear that. And I love to hear that people are out there listening to the podcast Mm-hmm. One last thing, I think, before we get on yep. over to the talk that you had about the whole of it, I really wanted to ask you this question directly, Blake, because the thing I think that people don't necessarily talk about in terms of these events, um, what was the exhaustion level for you going through the whole thing? Because like, I know from my own Vault Tour experience where I only ended up staying in for three games, I honestly, at the end of it, felt like, you know, I, oh man, like it's so hard for me to stay focused, stay organized. Did you have any trouble with like the endurance and stamina aspect of keeping through with the game? It was challenging, but I also brought a lot of like 
um, energy bars and granola bars, stuff like that with me because I was planning for it to be a long day. And I gave Jonathan the same advice I said before I left. I'm like, hey, man, bring some protein bars or something with you because we may only have one break and need to keep our energy up as we're going. So I kind of prepped it that way. And I just drank lots of water and stuff like that. And the uh, and I'll be honest, there was a, a mental endurance fatigue when I was going as one opponent. I almost conceded when I was winning because I thought he was about to forge his third key when it was only his second and I was up two keys. So yeah, that almost happened, but it didn't. So there was the a little bit of mental lapse, but I honestly can say that I did not misplay at all on day one. I'd made no misplays as, as far as I was aware of. It wasn't like that moment you do something, you go, oh shoot, I should have done this instead. I was able to keep myself in check through that process and think out some very elaborate lines of play with some of my decks that I had never done before because certain board state situations on my opponent's side never allowed me to do it before. Um, I'd never been in that position, so that was one thing. And yeah, but it was it was really challenging. Uh, very, very challenging. And it is a mental drain. Like I was just exhausted at the end of the day. All right, so... I got to ask this on the podcast. Um, I understand that you were able to pick up a couple of Worlds Collide starters while you were down in the United States. What was it like walking into a target and going, yep, there they are? Uh, It wasn't that simple. So (laughs) I I actually, the story, I've told this story and a lot of people are like, I can't wait for to hear you tell this story on the podcast. So I guess I could better go through my whole Worlds Collide story now uh, since you brought (laughs) it up. So the very first thing I did when I got off the plane was I got in a cab and I went to a Target. That was like the very first thing from the airport. <laughs> so I knew there was two stores because I got a link to this website called Brickseek and it had the UP or the DCPI code that told you it was Worlds Collide. And it showed up as uh, like Kings of Tokyo or something like that. It wasn't yep. the Worlds Collide. And so there was two stores that had it. One was on one side of Vegas, which was close to the hotel. And the other side was in Henderson, which is like... 15 minutes away from the airport in the opposite direction. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go there first because there's no way I'm coming back to here. So I took a cab there. And when I got there, I went inside. I looked. I couldn't find it. I found an employee. I gave them the code. And then they said, oh, yeah, we actually have them in the back. And I just explained the situation, how, oh, yeah, that people said they have it. You just have to ask them and they'll get it for you. And it's like, okay. So she comes back with one for me. And I was like, how many do you have? And she's like, six. And I was like, could I get five? And I decided not to take all of them, which I know a lot of people did, just in case someone was coming and going to commute there because it's not close to anything. I didn't want them to be left with nothing. So I left one just in case. And then I took five. And the idea was uh, I had uh, a couple for you guys out of one. Um, A friend, Marco, had asked me earlier in the day if I could get an extra, could I get one for him? So I got one for him. And then I uh, wanted one for Jonathan as well because... When he got off the plane, I wanted him to have a Worlds Collide deck playing. And my my like idea was like, hey, man, we're going to have fun this weekend. Let's jam some Worlds Collide. And we did that night. We were up to like 1.30 in the morning playing Worlds Collide uh, that first night. And then the next morning, we found out there was another target that was uh, on the other side of Vegas, but closer to our hotel. So we went there. And this is where the story gets interesting. So I go in. I do the same thing. Find an employee. Give them the code. They go, oh, it shows there's none in stock. And then I looked. And next to it said five on hand, but zero in stock. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. Jonathan's like come on, let's go to the game section. So we go look there and then there's this, uh, like we can't find anything. And then, and then Jonathan sees this guy who looks like a gamer in the video game movie section. He goes up to him and goes, Hey, you got any key forge? And the guy looks at us and he just very casually like does the whole, like come hither hand thing. He's like, follow me. (laughs) 
He's got, yeah, just like that. Just like, he goes, follow me. And then we walk and he goes behind the counter. And this is like, this is Triple Force Friday. So like all the Star Wars stuff is everywhere. And he just has it hidden behind the counter between two big things. So you can't see them. Hands us each one. And we're like, can we have another? And he's like, no, only one per person. And he was like super like bouncer about the way he the ended hook up. up. <laughs> yeah, the it was so up. funny. I think I've, I've I've bought weed under less severe circumstances. <laughs> I have so many questions now about Worlds Collide, but we got to save that for next week's podcast when we'll all yeah. have the opportunity to check out the decks that you brought home. As you're hearing this tonight, we'll be playing the, uh, some Worlds Collide. But yeah, the one last thing I just wanted to talk about was the team event, which was really cool because um, we played a team event on the last day, on the Sunday, which was a phenomenal experience. And I hope we can replicate this in our stores if we get about 16 people we need to make four teams. And, um, or actually, no, we need 12 people to make four teams or a little bit more than that, or 16, uh, sorry, 18 to do more teams, which would be awesome. But it's basically you have three players and you do sealed where you each buy two decks and you open up the six decks between the three of you. And then you create which decks you guys are going to play. So there's one person is playing an adaptive game, which is you just look at the houses that exist on the Archon card and you choose if you want to bid chains for it or play your own deck. And then the next game is a straight Archon, normal Keyforge sealed game. And then the third one, and this is what I played, which was so much fun, is a sealed reversal. So essentially what you do is you find the worst deck of the six that you have. And all you do is show your opponent the Archon card. You shuffle up your deck and you pass it to them. And they have to play blind, knowing nothing about the deck and drawing into everything. And it was so much fun. Like, I want to play that that again. Like, that is my favorite form of sealed now. Like, I don't want to play any other type of sealed moving forward with AOA because it was amazing. That is super dope, and I'm super excited to check it out. That does sound fun. All right, why don't we get over to your conversation with Dan and Joe? All right, so uh, we're going to jump right into it now When uh, with my, my team that helped me prep for the Vegas Vault Tour. Uh, Dan is someone, a.k.a. Dan from Sanctimonious. Greetings, Archon. And we also have uh, Joe, no, more commonly known as Zodid, through the Discordian hey, channels. Hey, it's Zodid. Zodid, oh, okay. I've been screwing it up to you, my bad. <laughs> so, Hello, everybody. Joe. Yeah, welcome, guys. Uh, it's good to have you guys on for this kind of uh, special version of the podcast because uh, I just came back from my first vault tour in Vegas, which was uh, full of excitement on many different levels. So proud. So very proud. And yeah, so, you did an awesome so job, sad. man. Yeah, thanks, guys. I, I do owe a lot of it to you because you guys helped make me feel very comfortable and <laughs> ran me through gauntlets so that I wasn't going in feeling like a total noob, which was really awesome. Good. So I appreciate that. Just want to give a uh, a formal thank you so much for for uh, putting me through my paces. It really helped. And Joe for lending me a deck, which uh, put in work. That was my pleasure. A lot of pressure, though. I will say that. <laughs> I was feeling bad in our testing. Uh, I had a fairly good record against Blake, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I hope I'm not like crushing his dreams and spirits here. <laughs> you did, but it worked out well. Good, good, good. Glad. It's just lucky I couldn't be there. all right so i'm gonna take over steering this podcast because i like control and i'm just gonna kind of go through our prep process kind of where it started how it got together um so going all the way back to the beginning this uh, vt vegas was announced i thought about trying to cash in some dad points but i'd just been to vegas in july with my wife and i've got a less than two month old at the time that vegas happens so yeah i was out of the running 
So once that was established, Blake found out that he could go and me and Joe immediately like sent him our collection list and like, here you go, man, pick what you want. So Blake, what were you looking for when you're going through our collections? Was there anything that you were specifically looking for for your lineup? Yeah, I kind of was thinking about like what's missing from what I wanted to bring. And you had a lot of great decks, Dan, that that were a hard choice. But because I was bringing my my routine job deck, that that kind of like the way that played, I was trying to find something that didn't play the same way. And that's kind of what led to my deck decisions was I wanted to have a variety so that if I went up against different things, I had some options to choose from. And that was kind of my thought process. And that's what kind of led me to Joe's collection because uh, I know he had a really good Genka deck that I, I jammed like 21 games with. And then like two weeks before, I just decided to switch it up because um, Mediator Jay, um, Jim, great guy, he uh, he passed up on a deck which I ended up bringing, which was the Svetlana Triple Unlock Gateway deck, which had a proc as well. And it just had answers. Like I saw it, I'm just like, you, you played it against me, Joe, is how I discovered it, right? Yeah, we were playtesting and it playtested pretty well. And you're like, that tool, that deck's got a lot of tools in it. I don't think I ever lost to it. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> but my my record with it was was really, it was a great record with it. I think I only lost two games total with it in the in the whole time. But they, I mean, the one loss I had was, or the one loss on day one I had was. I didn't even get a chance to play it. Oh no, I did get a chance to play it. I won. I won a game, and then um, it just the matchup didn't work out very well. It was one of those situations, and the RNG took effect. So that was my one loss on day one. Was um, I couldn't? I got proc at the end, and I found that the Svetlana deck. If you get proc early, you really have a huge advantage. And if you get it near the end, it can sometimes be like too little, too late, so to speak. So it was just an RNG thing that that happened, and that's part of the game. So Svetlana, based on our testing, is kind of kind of a grindy control deck. No, really. Yeah, my my record going into it was I jammed sixteen games with it, and I was eight and eight. <laughs> <laughs> you never but lost it, it, playing anybody but me. Yeah, basically, but, <laughs> but it was it was honestly, um, even though the deck the record was a fifty fifty record, it didn't deter me because I knew that it was a matchup deck and I was going to be using it for specific matchups and to answer specific issues that came and it did have that tool chest quality and i always used it because of the rng factor i used it as my second deck always so that i would have that opportunity if i won first that i could lose twice with it like that was that was the idea one was i didn't have as much confidence just because i didn't play with it as much as the other decks uh, but i knew the deck had what it needed to do to really succeed so that was a, a great thing about it. And I and I honestly, I love that deck. I fell in love with it, playing with it. Yeah, so that's an AOA deck. Let's talk about your other AOA deck, one that you opened in a sealed event, a very disgusting triple routine job. Oh, no, I, I opened that, like, I think it was in my my first four decks of AOA that I opened. Like, I had a uh, starter and two decks, I and I literally got it as, yeah, it was one of my first adet, first decks ever. So it's a 98 SAS deck with um, a D rating. So the deck manipulation is 20. <laughs> and it is just gross. gross. Like I'll, I'll like archive. I'll go like three turns in a row where I'm drawing six cards at a time, 
and I'm archiving like crazy or using Yerks to discard. So the big engines for that deck is it's a Dis Logos Shadows. Uh, it has triple routine job, Ronnie, um, double exhum, and it has a, a bunch of other like like double Gamgee, and it has uh, throwing stars, like little things to to do to do some work in shadows. And then under the disc side of things that really make it hum is it has a double pandemonium, a anguish, uh, three yurks, um, ancient yurk, two old yurks, and a regular yurk. And those are like my engines for just getting out what I don't need and cycling through my hand. And not to mention with exhumes and things like that, I can basically on a disc turn house cheat since there's two exhumes, just discard a creature I want to play that turn, which is really helpful. And then in Logos, it's pretty much like all archiving, like double Titan Librarian. There's a um, Brain Eater. There's two ZYX researchers. There's two Hexbeons. And it there's a... Igor's in there so it just like basically does work to cycle and find what I need or start archiving like mostly Hexbeons I literally play them and then I just throw them into things to start cycling through my deck to get what I need uh, archived so I have it for later when the time comes also has a three fates and a standardized testing to deal with like board clears and that's why that deck just it just hums basically all the time but it's a very controlly deck and it likes to play from behind since it has a lot of steel so I have to be kind of uh, not worried if I start going behind, but the games do run a bit longer with that one. So that was kind of something that was on my mind and a bit of an issue at times. Sure. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, we kind of, me and Joe kind of thought going into this event that that would be your band deck just because it's the triple routine job. Like we kind of assumed people would just look at triple routine job, look at all the control and just be like, nope. But uh, was that the case? Uh, no, it was not. It was, I think it was actually my least banned deck. And it was funny because when I was talking to um, to Grant, Grant Titus from Team Sass, yeah, he was saying that they were bringing some uh, quad routine job decks as baits to get to get uh, benched to allow their other two decks to play. And he said it didn't work out that way. He said they rarely got benched as well. So I guess people just aren't afraid of routine jobs. Crazy. Good, smart people out there. Good, smart people. All yeah. right, so let's talk about the only Coda deck you brought and the story behind yes. finding that deck. So um, I was originally running three AOA decks, and the other deck I had from AOA was, I really liked it. It was um, really controlly. It had, like, Ember Control in every house, like, double too much to protect, double Screech Bomb, had Ronnie's, it had Exhumes. Like, it had, it had like, just answers in that sense. But it also didn't have any artifact control was a big issue. And I realized none of my decks did. And that kind of worried me. And then I realized it played very similarly to my routine job, but not quite as um, consistently as the as it did. So it kind of just felt like two of the same decks were playing, but they weren't the type of deck I wanted to have multiples of. So I kind of decided to do an audible. And uh, I had in my storage locker a unopened box of Coda for a while. So I cracked that. Didn't find anything truly saucy. And then I was like in a last ditch effort on like September 14th, like basically like two weeks before Voltour, I just went to my my local game store and just <laughs> bought six decks of Coda just on a whim. And then I opened up this real saucy 94 SAS, a double Nature's Call, Choda, double Hunting Witch, Dust Pixie, Witch of the Eye, Regrowth, Lost in the Woods. It was basically eight creatures and four um, action cards in in uh, untamed and then it also had an amazing brobnar like all beast creatures like all five or six creatures with a pile of skulls 
and it just put in work and then it had a sanctum house as well. So it was a no shadows, no dis, no logos, um, the coda, and it just hummed. It worked so well. And it was actually my most banned deck because it was fast. <laughs> no shadows, no problem. Yeah. And it, it, I didn't get to play it that much. Um, it was banned in the first round. It was banned in, um, and in the last round, it was banned twice. It, it was kind of like, and then it was banned on day two. So those are the three times it was banned. I had a pretty even banning, actually. Like the routine job deck was banned. Um, almost all my decks were banned equally now that I'm actually looking at the list. Huh, it was like two, two, and two. Yeah, so it was, that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, so it's essentially your lineup ended up being two kind of controlling decks and one kind of rush amber deck. Would you change yes. that in the future? Yeah, I think I would. Um, going through this, I realized the, the, the time of the tournament, like having a time constraint to play three games and knowing that control games can go long, uh, really made a difference where I think I'd want two rush decks and then one control slash answer deck is how I would I would go about it again. Uh, I didn't have the ability to even bring that. I didn't think my other rush decks were were potent enough because I think a rush deck without a key cheat is um, a bit of a folly because, I mean, there were so many people with routine job decks and if you're just bursting up like that, you're just giving them the opportunity to do things to prevent you from being effective. So yeah, if I think I did it again, I'd have two rush decks, so I for sure get to have one because the other rule in the tournament was if you round if you won round one and you went to time and didn't get to finish game three, you basically whoever won round one wins the match. Game two. If you don't finish game two. Oh yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so if you like if you like get to game two but you don't get to game three, it's like whoever won game one is the tiebreak. Yeah. That'd be a really so that was also match. a scary thing. Well, when I went, when I was playing against Logotarian Luke, who is honestly like an amazing opponent, such a good guy, like he communicates the game so well. Like we be, we basically became bros, and he just was like such an awesome guy. Like I really enjoyed playing with him. We were literally had seven minutes left in the game when we were finishing game in the whole round when we were finishing game two, because our I went my routine job deck first, and both games went really long, and they were really like back and forth swings with the Ember. And yeah, it was um, it was a long. I, that was my longest match by far, and it was uh, my round one day two. But we're getting ahead of it, so we'll, we'll come back to that. Okay, so we selected our three decks. You selected your three decks, Joe. What kind of decks did you put up against Blake as you guys were testing? Well, I think the you know the main focus was to try to put him into matchups that he could see at the Vault Tour, and that came you know the the tricky ones like. Your Heart of the Forest, Grump Buggy, um, racing decks, and really just trying to put him in awkward matchups that he's most likely to see to figure out whether or not the deck had the tools for it. And I think that's part of where one of the other decks he was considering got kicked out. Yeah, definitely. And then you just, you know, the key was to really try to put him in difficult situations to figure out if he can get out of them and if he can, how, and then if he can't, how to prevent them from happening. Um, so we just really tried a variety of decks. Um, I didn't net deck anything. It was all decks that I'd owned and played. So he got a good play experience with them. And then it was just running matchup against matchup. Yep. That was pretty much what I did too. I have, I guess I have a few more VT quality decks than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You Based do. on, 
based on the results of a lot of our games. But yeah, I ran through probably about 10 or 12 different decks that are all a little bit different. I had a couple Jenka decks, Heart of the Forest decks, a um, couple Rush decks, and then quite a few control decks in my lineup. I, I really like controls. So yeah, I was kind of in the same boat where I just wanted to play a bunch of different stuff against Blake and just kind of give him a view against a bunch of different um, matchups. But yeah, his Coda deck was really good. I think that was probably his deck he had the most success during our testing. So for those that banned it, good call. If he gets that deck crushed uh, me more than any other deck. If he gets Choda early, it's just over. Yeah, that was oh, that. I love it's my favorite deck now. Like <laughs> I opened it literally like two days before my birthday, and it felt like an early birthday present. <laughs> and uh, uh, one thing I like to say is that you guys did something, especially Joe did this the most. Is after like when I was playing in Triad League or I was playing against you, Dan. Um, Joe would always follow up on Discord and send me a message like, hey, how did the game go? Like, how did Svetlana perform? Like, what issues? You'd, you'd ask me like these really like thought-provoking questions to analyze the gameplay and what happened and what went well and what didn't. And I really appreciated that that level of analytics going down, like you just making me have to think back on my gameplay and really analyze moves that were made. I thought that was a really great uh, prep for moving forward. Sorry, I just laugh maniacally when I win. <laughs> 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 kind of like that. I would like to say that I think the be- some of the best testing that we did was when we'd have a third person watching the game and kind yeah. of viewing both hands and really trying to force optimal play out of both sides. The well, no, well especially you against, you know, the person going against Blake because it, it puts it allows him not to win by our play mistake. Mm-hmm. And that was we, a cool thing. And that was a really, I think that's a really good testing tip, right? Yeah, is having somebody watch your games live and make sure that the person playing against the opponent that's it's going to the, the ball tour play possible. Yeah. yeah, is playing against the best play possible. I just thought that was really awesome. And a fun yeah, way to play, too. Yeah. yeah, so we did that. So anybody else, it's pretty easy to set up. You just have to have a group voice chat somehow, which isn't too hard to find in this day of the internet. And then TCO actually allows you to show both hands to spectators when you play. And so I know for the Sanctimonious Discord, we always set our hands to showing if anybody wants to watch our games and kind of see, get a peek inside of our brains. But yeah, that's what we did for a few games where I watched um, Joe and Blake play and chastise them for bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, no, you can't go that house this turn. You switch that house right now. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was it was such a a great experience, and it and honestly, it felt really awesome to have you guys like supporting me and behind me and rooting for me with this. And then it also put on extra pressure to make sure I made day two. So it was <laughs> was it all for nothing? There is no pressure. We I, love you either way. Yeah, there was no pressure when around halfway through the, the the tournament, I'm I'm sitting at one loss and one more loss, and I'm out. Well, and, you uh, want to talk about pressure when you said you lost in what round three? I think it was. Yeah. You're like Svetlana didn't perform. I, like it broke my heart. I'm like <laughs> I'm going to be responsible for him losing the vault tour. That that was pressure for me. Yeah, it was. It was just an RNG thing. Like it. I also wonder, like. Honestly, the cool thing I love about Svetlana is you don't play it like a normal Keyforge deck because it has so many answers. And once you identify what the issues are within someone's deck, 
you kind of don't just discard things for the sake of cycling. Once you get them, you kind of need to hold them because you know when that comes, it's going to be a problem and you got the answer. So it's like you shut it down right away. And that's what I loved about the deck is I had to learn to be patient with it and not try and cycle super fast because my opponent knew it was in my deck as well. And so there are things that they're waiting for. And so I can just wait. And and as soon as proc comes out, it's it's honestly like it's game over. If they don't have artifact removal, I win every single time. There wasn't a time that proc came out that I didn't win. Because it just makes all the Ronnies, the doorsteps, the too much to protect, like so powerful that they just can't deal with it. And then they unlock gateways if they do get three creatures out anyways from different houses. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. All right, so that's your prep going into it. Let's hear about the event. Give us the breakdown. Right. What, are, what are some memorable moments from day one? So f- first off the top is is um, to get to day two, I actually I had to play against some, some known people within the community, and that put my nerves on edge. But at the same time, it was one of those things where it's like, I believe in my skill as a Keyforge player, and now I have to prove that that exists, basically, was how I kind of viewed it. So my first round was against Kyle Coons, and uh, he banned the Coda deck, and I managed to go 2-0, uh, winning with both my routine job deck first, and then Svetlana, and uh, that was a that was some tough matchups. Uh, he had a deck that he well, one thing about the tournament which we found out in round one is it does not state clearly in the rules whether you can or cannot switch your decks between rounds if you lost. There's no statement saying yes or no. And Duncan, the head judge, who's an honestly awesome guy, is really looking to create consistency and clarity in Keyforge with the way the game is played, decided to make a ruling. Since there was no specific rule, he decided to create um, a situation where you had to stick with your same deck until it won. And it was a bit of a controversial one, but I respect what he decided to do because we've had issues in the past where there's a lack of clarity and a lack of consistency with things. So he just decided to make a call since it didn't exist and stuck with it for the tournament. And it may not have been as popular, but you knew what you were getting into and it kind of switched the strategy of some things you did. So I couldn't switch in between or he wasn't. So Kyle wasn't allowed to switch and he played a deck that he had not a lot of reps with. Like he, he, he borrowed the deck and, I, and it was kind of unclear, and so he couldn't switch his deck, and he had less confidence in that deck, and so it kind of went against him, which he learned from moving forward because he he almost made day two. Like, he he got right to the end, and he won out, and him and I were, like, chatting throughout the day afterwards. Um, my next round opponent was against uh, this uh, this young lad named Jack who was, um, plays in the San Diego area with uh, Devin from Team Reapout, and he's a great player. He's, like, 12 years old, I think, and... He's like awesome. Like he is really quality player, um, especially for his age. And um, he had a two time traveler decks and uh, he banned my routine job deck. And then I ended up winning 2-0 win that matchup. And then round three, I played, uh, I can't remember this guy's name, but he was the one who beat me. And I don't remember his decks at all. I just remember the feels bad because I, I won with my routine job deck. Oh, sorry. My routine job deck got banned. I won with my Coda deck quickly. And then Svetlana, it didn't, the matchup just wasn't good with Svetlana. So I lost once. And then the second time, um, I didn't get proc until like the very end of the game on key three. And it was kind of just like too little too late. So it just didn't pan out the way uh, I needed it to. So that was kind of the unfortunate thing. 
but it's like I knew that was part of the situation and it was it was close games though they weren't like blowouts by any means they were super close so then I went into round four knowing that any loss here on out is basically I'm out of the tournament so I played against this uh great guy named Clint from the Philippines and he hadn't been playing for very long and he flew out and he's participating in two vault tours and um, it was kind of an unfortunate situation because he banned Svetlana and I won 2-1 because we both had our Coda decks were identical except his was like it was literally like a mirror match with the Choda situation except he had more burst potential than my deck did so he was able to just outrace. But then when I went again the second time with my Coda to deck, I won when it wasn't a mirror match. And he had like two quad routine job decks with like double battle fleets. Like it was, he had just insane decks, but he'd only been playing for a month. And so what happened was, is, um, so Duncan stated he wanted us to, during our draw steps, to put our hands down on the table and then draw cards on top of it and leave your hand on the table until the start of your turn. That's that was what his recommendation was, and he thought that was the best way to play the game, and not look at your hands. But at the very least, draw face down so you don't see your cards. So if there's any effects like um, chains, if there's streaks or succubuses out, then if you overdraw, you don't take a penalty because it can be easily fixed because you don't know what the card is. You just put it back on top. So when I was playing against Clint, um, I had a streak out, and he overdrew and I didn't catch it right away because he was never putting his cards down. He was holding it. And then I was kind of like looking at the board and then the stars turn, he went to play something and I was like, wait, wait, how many cards do you have in your hand? And he's like six. And then I was like, I was like, dude, you're supposed to draw five. And then, so the penalty is, is you get to look at your opponent's hand and then they, you get to choose a card in there and they shuffle it back into their deck. So I'm playing as a quad routine job deck. So I saw he had a routine job and that's what I shuffled back in. And then went to my turn. Uh, Streak wasn't dealt with. It was still on board. I played a Binding Iron, so now he's down two cards. And he did it again. So I didn't know what to do exactly in that situation. So I called the judge over just to be like, hey, this kind of happened again. Like, And he goes, okay, well, um, you get to look at his hand and put two cards back in. And again, he had a routine job. So those got shuffled back in. And another, I chose another random card. I can't remember which it was. And the judge gave him a warning since it happened twice in a row. And um, yeah, I think it was just like a new player syndrome and and it, it kind of sucked, but it was like a huge turning point because because that happened, it's what caused me to win. So if you played those two routine jobs, I don't think I would have come back. So it was like a weird bit of luck that went on my side and it felt kind of bad. But at the same time, like, I guess that is the rules of the game that they established. And so that's the way it went yeah, down. And that was what, round four? <clears throat> You're three and one. Yeah, that was so round four. At that point, you kind of have to expect. Yeah. yeah. It's not it's not the yeah. two and two bracket where yeah. <laughs> you're playing for fun of the game at that point. You're still vying yeah. for day two. So yeah, you've got to hold people to the letter of the law. Yeah. And so then I go into round five and I look at my matchup and who do I see? But I'm going against Dave Cordero. And I was just like, I messaged both you guys. I was like, oh, damn, I'm going against kind of a, uh, a low key Keyforge legend here and uh, a great player. So um, I went against him. And Obviously, Bam Novolari. Yeah, I, I knew the name. <laughs> the runner, was, runner up to Gen Con. Yeah, exactly. So that was not a hard decision. And, and the funny thing is I look at the Archon card and it's like kind of warped because he's played with it so much. <laughs> like it's just, you can tell it's had the reps. But looking at the list, it was just gross. And he banned Svetlana. Because uh, Joe, you have a funny story about that. Yeah, I was uh, watching Dave play on... Uh, worlds collide later on in the evening and 
he was uh someone had asked him if he saw any good AOA decks. And he goes, "Yeah, I I played some guy he had a triple unlock gateway. I just didn't want to deal with that, so I banned that one." And I was watching I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, that was my deck." That made me yeah. proud papa moment. <laughs> yeah, that was that was cool. And honestly, like I have to say like Dave is amazing in the way that he plays the game. Like the way he communicates uh how he places cards, how, what he's doing every time. Like it is like a benchmark for how you should communicate and play the game. And I know Jupiter feels the same way. He's, if you listen to his podcast, he, he speaks very highly of Dave as well and his gameplay, but it's honestly like a model of how you should play the game. Everything is very clear. It's very concise. You know exactly what's going on. It just like makes the experience like very easy to go through. And, and like, he's honestly just a really stand up guy. Like I had, I had the, like, some of my most fun playing with him because we got to have really nice casual conversation as well play a serious game it was it was really good and uh i actually won that game i almost conceded against him because i didn't realize it was like late in the day and i didn't realize that he was only one key ahead he only had one key and not two and i thought he was forging for his third and he was like dude you almost conceded to me like what's wrong with you and I did a play that i had never done before with my routine job deck and i think it's the play that kind of swung the game was um, he had a banner of battle out and he had two Magdas. And so he was bursting pretty hard because he was behind at this time. Uh, and he knew I didn't have too much to protect in my deck. So he was up to 14 Ember and I managed to get rid of one Magda the turn before and put him down to 12 Ember. And there was also a speed sigil out uh, on his side. And so I had a Yurk left with one of his Magdas. So what I did was um, when I went to my turn, he was sitting on 12 Ember and I managed to go Yurk. Um, so actually what I did was I exhumed an Anguish, which entered play ready. Then I swung Yurk into the Magda to break Elusive. And then I went Anguish into a five power Magda to put five damage on it. Steal two to put him down to 12 Ember. Oh yeah, he was at 14. He went down to 12. And then it made his keys cost 11 when I passed turn. So all that 12 Ember, he forged for 11 next turn, which took away his advantage. Nice. Nice. And then I put myself up into, I think I was in check from that. And it just gave me the advantage to close out the game. Well played. Yeah. Anguish, anguish and ways to fight right away with Anguish is so much fun when the opponent's in check. Yeah, and I'd never done that. That was my first time doing that type of play because I've never had that deck go against a speed sigil and be in that situation. So it was um, it was kind of a level up moment for me. I'm definitely going to remember uh, to find tricks with Anguish that way because it was really powerful. Mm-hmm. So you did it. You're at the 4-1 and one cusp, looking at day two, reaching for it, grasping for it. Who's your last sixth round opponent? My last round, uh, I had to go against uh, Grant Titus. Mr. Crucible Tracker. And again, I was like, oh man, another heavy hitter. But I guess that's the way it is when you're when you're getting near the end. And uh, he banned um, my Coda deck because he was like, man, that deck's gross. It's just way too fast. Like he's like, I'm not dealing with that. And I ended up going 2-1 against him. And I won that game because of Svetlana and Proclamation. Like I managed to get Proclamation out by turn three. And then I was just able to control and he was worried about the too much protects and I managed to get to my going on to my third key before he had forged his first one because I was able to just control with Ronnie's and then I had ways to um uh, I can't remember 
Joe, what's in the deck that recurs? Oh, Hysterias. Yeah, there's Hysterias and Exhumes in the deck. So I was recurring Ronnie like crazy. Like he built up a huge board, then I Hysteriaed and I got my Ronnie back. So I was able to play Ronnie a bunch and it went into, he just got frustrated, I think, and he burst up. He's like, I'm going to go for it. So he burst up to 14 Ember or 12 Ember, something like that. Then he passed to me and I'm literally holding a mitt of Sanctum, like all Sanctum. And one of them was doorstep to heaven. So I doorstepped him at like 12 ember and he went down to five and he was just like and then i was about to play out like a whole bunch of sanctum cards and he's like yeah man i just concede you got this so <laughs> so svetlana put in yeah svetlana put in work um he what he did win a game like he won a game against svetlana but then i knew that was the way svetlana worked is i wanted to have it as my second deck to go twice because then i could rng into what works and that's what happened and it worked like like to a t it, the deck hummed in that matchup like it was one of my best draws and and just the way the cards came, it was perfect. Like I wasn't really holding that much because the cards came as I needed them. Like I think I did a two-turn unlock gateway, like unlock gateway. Next turn, he plays a whole bunch of creatures. Unlock gateway is one of those, <laughs> which is like the, the, the one game. of the most annoying things about Svetlana, I think, playing against it is you can get two turns in a row unlocked gateway. Nice. It gets people frustrated too. It's, yeah. uh, it's annoying with the too much to protect, the doorstep, the Ronnie's. Three Fates, Hysteria, you just, there's so many answers that people get frustrated, like, God, they have an answer for everything, and it throws them off their game. I watched both of you play it, and, like, the uh, whole Exhume Ronnie, Hysteria, so Ronnie's back in your hand again with Proclamation out, and your opponent's just like, well, crap, I can't go to eight. They're just going to steal two. I've got to go to ten in order to even have the possibility of getting the key and then you could have too much to protect and Ronnie. So yeah, no, it puts you in some really awkward positions. That's why you just play Jenka because you don't care. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you made it. Congratulations. You did it. Yes. That felt really good. I I bet. I have no idea what that would feel like. I went three and three in my one attempt at a VT, but that was early in the Keyforge life of Dan. One thing I will say is like Vegas is like one of my favorite cities to go to and I go every year. So being in Vegas, I also felt very comfortable being there. Like it wasn't a foreign place to me. And I feel like that had to to a degree an effect because it wasn't like I know what it's like being in Vegas. I know the desert climate. I enjoy being there. Like it's one of my favorite places to go to. I think that actually does have some sort of psychological effect on everything as well. Nice. So, yeah. So then you go into day two. We have a pretty good idea of who your opponent's going to be. Logitarian Luke. Um, yes. We have knowledge that he was on stream for one of the rounds. So your testing partners, at least one of them, was watching the stream and trying to kind of figure out what to go with. We may have known what his three decks were that he had. So we had some conversations there about which one would probably be the worst matchup for your lineup. Um, I think I stressed that his uh, creature, or his all three of his decks, there were like 19 creatures, 22 creatures, and 22 creatures. So I'm like... Svetlana is going to be sweet against him because of all the unlocked gateways. So if Svetlana makes it through, I feel pretty good about your chances to win one game. And then what did you do, Blake? What did you do? Uh, I screwed up. <laughs> I went with... <laughs> I went with... Uh, he banned my Coda deck, not Svetlana, which we thought he was going to ban Svetlana if, if I was going against him because of that. And yeah, I went with my routine job deck first just because... Um, I had more confidence with playing it because I'd played it so much. Like I just knew the deck so well and what it could do. And I thought 
oh, man, it was like such a mistake <laughs> looking back. There's no guarantee I would have won, but the matchup would have been better if I won with Svetlana. And this is one of those things where if the rule where you could switch decks in between would have really come into play for me because I would have switched to Svetlana in between if I'd lost with that one. So, yeah. But the, the thing is, though, at the end of the day, it didn't make a difference because he won with both decks against my routine job deck. So either way, even if I did win one with Svetlana, that puts me in an advantage, but he was still able to beat both. Yeah. So so it was his decks were just really good and like oh the, <laughs> you should see the end board state. Like I took pictures of it. I'm gonna send it to you guys, but he basically had we were playing on one of those big two player mats, like the original Coda two player mats. And his battle line went off either side of the mat. He had so many creatures out. And he had 27 captured Ember on his creatures at the end of the game. And the 27 Ember was not like throughout the game. It all happened on my third key. Like I had two keys forged and I generated 27 Ember and he captured it all. That was the insane part. And honestly, like Luke is such a good dude. And like, I didn't mind losing to him. Like we were both like, we just had so much fun playing with one another. Like it was one of those things where like, you know, sometimes on day two, you go against someone and they can be really intimidating. We didn't intimidate each other. We just had like, it felt like just a fun, like game of key forge and whatever happened, we were both going to be happy with, with one of us making it forward. Cause we both got to know each other. Cause we played in a team event against one another and kind of got to be chummy then and then got to play each other then and he's just such a good dude so like i know he listens to the podcast and i can't say enough good things about him he's a great player he also executes the game very well in a similar way to dave cordero and so yeah yeah, he's an awesome dude out in minneapolis the the game i scouted him he's playing dave cordero and it was like the clearest because they have them both mic'd up so if you want to know i think it's like yeah i was like in the two hour mark on day one somewhere in there that they play each other and it's the microphones on so you can hear what they're saying. And I mean, yeah, it's very clear. Like they're very clear about their turns. When they pass the turn. They announce how many cards they're going to draw to the final number of cards they're going to draw. Um, when they declare check, it was like check plus two to let you know that they had eight Amber or whatever, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. It was a very clean game of Keyforge. Very easy to follow along, even watching via a stream with some overhead cams. Yeah, I would say those two, Dave Cordero and, and Logoterry and Luke are the two guys who, if you want to know how you should be playing the game of Keyforge in, in terms of like communication of gameplay, they are setting the example of how it should be done without a doubt. Well, congratulations, Blake. We're very proud. It was very cool getting to follow along and getting the updates that you kept winning round after round and all the time that we spent jamming games and talking about the lineup and what to ban, what to look out for, all paid off. So well done. Good job putting in the work. And it was really cool because Grant was, uh, he was really impressed that I was running two AOA decks and that I was able to do what I did running two because I don't think a lot of people were running a lot of AOA decks. A lot of people had Coda. So I felt good about, about representing AOA well as well. So that was a cool thing. You did an awesome job, man. Yeah, thank you guys. And honestly, I I owe so much of this to you. Like the success of getting to day two was everything you ran me through. Um, even Dan making me feel like I'm not a good Keyforge player. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was all very important steps to get there. And I really appreciate you guys for for all you did and helping. It was a, it was such a cool experience, and it felt really good to have two people in my corner. Yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it since I couldn't go. You know, I just had to live vicariously through crushing you. So now I can say that I just absolutely <laughs> crushed a day two VT player 
in preparation <laughs> for VT. So yeah, it feels good here too. All right. So um, we're going to go back over to um, my podcast mates and have uh, Scuzzy Gruen and uh, Rick give their uh, the final thoughts on everything. So thanks so much, guys, for uh, jumping on this episode and creating this uh, a bit longer one for uh, for this great first vault tour for me, which I loved. So thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Goodbye, Archon. Terrific conversation. I loved hearing that. This is probably the longest episode of Help from Future Self we've ever had. Thanks so much for Dan and Joe for coming on the show and sharing their wisdom and experience with all of us here at Help from Future Self. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to hear from those guys. Um, It is probably going to be one of those things where we got to get out of here in a hurry, but uh, we cannot end any episode of this podcast without the titular segment... Help from Future Self. self. Rick, I understand you have one for us this week. Yes, I do. It actually pertains to what happened over the the weekend. Um, I caught myself in watching that, remembering that I also have been losing focus during the games. But the only difference is I usually, when I see that I'm losing focus, I bring myself back and then I ask my opponent what have I not done yet? I need to make sure that the game state's proper. So I ask where I've left off so that I can pick up again and continue on. Yeah. One thing, one thing with that, cause I know when we've been playing Rick, sometimes you'll like overdraw or something like that. And yeah. if we're going to start implementing the rules that are becoming like the tournament rules, the, the penalty for, for overdrawing is your opponent gets to look at your hand and choose any card in there and shuffle it back into your deck. Whew. So yeah, that is the official rule now that they've been implementing at Yeti, and it's a it's a stiff one. So what they suggested, and we practiced this on Monday, and I've been doing it, and I find it is like all of the most liberating thing to do in the game of Keyforge, is when you go to draws, you put your hand down on the table, and then you draw cards on top of it, and you leave your hand until the start of your next turn because you cannot interact during your opponent's turn with your cards. There's no point looking at them. And I also found you save your brain power because you're not thinking about things that may become an irrelevant point based on actions that your opponent could do within their turn. So you just put your hand down, draw on top of it. And then if you drew too many cards, you can just put it back on top because you haven't looked at it. It's still not information known. So you just put it right back on top and you check with your opponents. You go at the end of your turn like, okay, I only have two cards left in hand. I'm drawing four cards up to six. And then your opponent will actually know you have chains or no streak is in play. You actually only draw to five and you go, okay. And you just put one card back. No harm, no foul. That's how they did it. And I have to say, like, a, a lot of players tried it out on Monday when we were doing our sealed, and they found it great. Like, it's honestly, like, such a cool experience. And you just totally focus on what your opponent's doing and see what um, interactions they have. And then you pick up your hand and you make your decision of how to play your turns. And I found it extremely liberating and a much more clean gameplay. It sounds like it definitely would benefit my my gameplay to do that. Yeah, you wouldn't get distracted as easily because you can just focus on your opponent. You should test it out. It's it's actually a really a really liberating experience. I do highly recommend it. I will probably do that tomorrow. Yes. I'm going to test that out when we play tomorrow. Exactly. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, I am so excited to see both of you. I'm so excited to hear some more stories from the, uh, the tournament. I am so excited to get to play Worlds Collide, see what the sets look like. We will have a full report on that coming up next week, but we have to bid you a fond farewell. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, and on The Crucible. Rick, where can they find you? On The Crucible, Rickster78, and on Twitter, I'm at The Wheeling Keyforger. 
What about yourself, Blake? You can find me at Boulevard Paper Fight on Instagram and Twitter. Longest episode of Help from Future Self yet. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. And until next time, stay fortunate.